I'm Peter McCulley. On this edition of Today in BC, it's our Made in BC book club featuring two authors. Crushed Wild Mint is a collection of poems from author Jess Husty of Bella Bella, which has found its way to the top of the BC bestsellers books list. The collection of poems embodies love, land, and ancestral wisdom. So I live on an island on the outer coast. It's a small town. I actually never learned to drive a car, but I'm in a boat almost every day. And being a parent of two kids and just generally a busy person, I actually find that most of the time when I have quiet moments to let poems come to me or to sit and write, it's while I'm in transit somewhere on my boat. Haley Healy's Her Courage Rises is a beautifully illustrated collection of inspiring life stories of 50 historical trailblazing women of British Columbia and the Yukon. Including diverse women was a really important part of this book, and I think a real strength and appeal of this book for readers. Many of the women who were Black, Indigenous, or people of colour were, I think, underrepresented in history, so I think it's really important to have them included here in this book. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today, Haley. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Her Courage Rises is a book designed to introduce young readers to an extremely interesting group of women in the province. What inspired you to write it? The book was inspired after my first two books, On Their Own Terms, True Stories of Trailblazing Women of Vancouver Island, and Flourishing and Free, More Stories of Trailblazing Women of Vancouver Island. Those two are more for an adult audience. This one is aimed at a young adult, younger readers, though I think adults have told me they've really enjoyed it as well. What first inspired me to write about trailblazing women was after a five-day hike of the Hesquiat Peninsula, a little bit north of Tofino. We toured Cougar Annie's Garden, which is a backcountry garden. She was a pioneer homesteader and gardener, and I was just amazed by her story and wondered, are there others? other women who really hadn't been written about and told in the history books, and there were many. So it's been an exciting journey. Your biography describes you as a self-proclaimed trailblazing woman yourself, teaching schools in flying communities and guiding whitewater canoe expeditions, and you play the violin, hopefully not while you're flying a plane or guiding a canoe. I do. I haven't been playing the violin much lately. These days I'm taking on the adventure of working full-time while parenting a toddler with my husband, and I'm also racing the Cross on the Rock cyclocross bike race series. Yeah, finding time to write and, yeah, get out in nature. But And I do love exploring backcountry, beautiful places as much as I possibly can. Tell me about teaching schools and flying communities. My first teaching job was in a very small community in the northern Yukon called Old Crow, 280 people. At that time, it was really hard to get teaching work in British Columbia. So I waited around a little bit and decided instead of going on a substitute teacher list, a TOC list, that I would go and get some experience and live somewhere that I probably would never go to live otherwise. It was an absolutely beautiful and incredible experience, also challenging in some ways. It was a short time period in my life, but one, I think about it probably every day. Did you teach all grades? I taught grades 7, 8, and 9. Readers often connect with books on a very personal level. What do you hope that younger readers will take away from the stories in this book? I hope they see that they can pursue whatever kind of life they want, that they learn about women who haven't been in the history books, and I just hope they feel excited and inspired to live their life and, yeah, reach for whatever goals they have. The stories include those of adventurers, there's pioneers, athletes, entrepreneurs, 
activists, writers, scientists. The book highlights many well-known names in West Coast history and groundbreaking achievements by women. Tell me about researching the material. Some women were much easier to find information about. There's some women included in the book, like Emily Carr, Cougar Annie, and Jenny Bouchart, who are quite well known. And some women were much less known, so it was a little more challenging to find research on them. I used newspapers, like historic newspapers. I used archives, books. And as much as I could, I interviewed family members. I also used museums. Many museums have a lot also online, and same with archives. But one of the most exciting and amazing parts of this whole experience was actually connecting with some of the family members of these women and talking to them on the phone or even meeting them in person if it was possible and really getting the stories about their family members. And also it was important to check with them that their family member was portrayed in a good way once their piece was edited. How long did the book take from the first light bulb snapping on to the time that it arrived in a box from the courier? It was a few years, at least maybe two-year process. But of course, there's the working on the manuscript, the editing process, and then Kimiko Fraser, who's the illustrator from Victoria, did the illustrations, the design process, and all of that through the publisher. The women that you've written about have pretty diverse backgrounds. There's individuals who identify as Indigenous, Black, Japanese, Chinese, and Dukabor. Including diverse women was a really important part of this book, and I think a real strength and appeal of this book for readers. Many of the women who were Black, Indigenous, or people of color were, I think, underrepresented in history, so I think it's really important to have included here in this book. So the title is Her Courage Rises. Was the title inspired by a particular story? It's inspired by a Jane Austen quote from Pride and Prejudice. My courage always rises at every attempt to intimidate me. It was fitting as many women in this book stood up for what they believe. There's 50 stories in the book, as we mentioned, that cover all geographical areas of British Columbia and Yukon as well, including all those walks of life that we couldn't talk about in this one little conversation. Perhaps we could touch on a few. I'd like to know the story, um, or at least more of the story, of Hannah Menard, a police photographer in Victoria in the late 1800s. Hannah moved from Bowmanville, Ontario with her husband and children. She moved to Victoria, which at that time was a frontier town, many people heading to the gold rushes. She opened a photographic studio above her husband's shoe shop in downtown Victoria. She had taught herself photography back in Ontario. It was a really new technology of the time. People, if they wanted a likelihood of themselves, they would have someone paint it. But photography was really new. So she opened up shop above her husband's shoe shop. Eventually, she got so busy, everybody wanted their photograph taken, whether they were heading for the gold rush or living in Victoria. Eventually, she got so busy, she had to hire an assistant and her husband joined her to do the photography. So he did a lot of traveling and a lot of his photos are available online through the Royal BC Museum and Archives, as same with Hannah's. Hannah eventually got so good at photography that she was offered a job with the Victoria Police Department as their first police photographer. So she was taking the mug shots of criminals, everybody with crimes between petty crimes, like stealing very small things to people who had murdered somebody. Hannah was really an exciting and amazing woman. I wrote a fiction book called Immortal Grit that was loosely based on Hannah's life. It's a self-published one. 
Belinda Mulrooney was a miner and an entrepreneur in Dawson City. Tell me a little bit about her. Belinda was born in Ireland. She moved to the United States and then headed to the Klondike Gold Rush in the Yukon. She became known as Queen of the Klondike. She did something a little different than the miners. She didn't go for gold. She opened a store, so she brought a lot of goods with her. And they sometimes say that people who open stores in the Yukon mined the miners. She made money off the miners. She brought things that people wouldn't have thought to bring. Fine clothing, different cloth, and hot water bottles, and made a lot of money selling them. Eventually, she was able to open a restaurant, a roadhouse, and the Grand Forks Hotel. Catherine Schubert uh, was an overland explorer in the Caribou. Catherine was also Irish, and she moved to the United States. With her husband and her children, they headed to the Caribou Gold Rush. They went over land. They headed from Winnipeg to British Columbia in 1862. It was a very hard trip done by horseback. So she rode a horse, uh, well pregnant with her children on each side of her. When they arrived in British Columbia, there wasn't much left of the gold rush, so they farmed. She worked as a midwife. And they ran a restaurant. And the other subject in the book I would like to talk about is Francis Oldham Kelsey, who was on Vancouver Island and a pharmacologist. Francis Kelsey's story is so interesting. I didn't know about it until I started researching for this book. There's a middle school named after her. She was known as Frankie. Uh, she went to school in Shawnigan Lake, got her master's and her doctorate in pharmacology. But she didn't want to be a doctor and she didn't want to go into research, so she landed a job with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the FDA. Uh, her job was to review drug applications that came through and make sure new drugs were safe. A few months into her job, a application came across her desk for a drug that was touted as a miracle drug that helped pregnant women with morning sickness and sleep. It was called thalidomide. She refused to approve it. She looked into it a lot. She had a lot of questions about it. She thought a lot more research needed to be done, so she refused to sign off on it. She received tremendous pressure from the pharmaceutical companies. They called her. They threatened her job. She held to what she thought was right and didn't approve it, despite all of this pressure. And it turned out that thalidomide caused severe birth defects, and she saved thousands of people in the United States by not approving this drug. Not many of these women that you've written about have what you might call a stereotypical story. They've all bent the rules, did their own thing. That in itself is a great teaching lesson for young people. Yes, many have led unconventional lives and done remarkable things. I hope young readers and all readers are inspired to follow their own dreams and live the life they want, even if it's unconventional. I noticed that many of these women lived very long lives despite some of the hardships that they faced. Yes, many lived into old age, some into their 90s. Their strength and perseverance and what they accomplished without many of the modern conveniences and opportunities that women have today make them pretty amazing, I think. Many of the women that you highlighted in the book would not have had suitable photographs to be found in those days. So you used illustrations throughout the book. Tell us about that process. Each woman has a photograph illustration with it. The illustrations are done by Kimiko Fraser, who's a talented illustrator from Victoria. Kimiko did the illustrations after the book was written, and she did a lot of her own research as well as using the stories that I wrote. 
She also talked to many of the family members and got information right down to the color of a shirt or the color of a necklace because many of the photographs were black and white. So she was able to talk to family members and get information like that. Her Courage Rises is your latest book. Tell us about the others that you've authored. There's a few in the Trailblazing Canadian series that just recently came out. Kimiko Murakami, a Japanese-Canadian pioneer, and Lily Bland, an amazing aviatrix. Those are for an even younger audience and beautifully illustrated as well. Her Courage Rises was shortlisted for a BC and Yukon Book Prize. That must have been a nice surprise. It was an absolute honor to be nominated next to some really talented authors and amazing books. When the Today in BC Made in BC Book Club continues, we'll chat with Jess Husty and talk about her book, Crushed Wild Mint. Discover what's happening around our province with todayinbc.com. Sign up today to get the latest news right to your inbox and never miss the news that's important to you and your family. From community news in your neighborhood to what's happening in our province, your source for daily news is todayinbc.com. Thanks for joining us on the Made in BC Book Club, Jess. Mm, Gayasika for having me. You live in Bella Bella. Did you grow up there? I did. I was born and raised there. I lived away for a few years when I was at university in Victoria, but I've been back in my community full time for about 15 years now. How did you come to express yourself through poetry? Was literature or writing a part of your education? Yeah, I grew up with a deep love of books, and I spent a lot of the time when I was a child out on the land with my dad. My dad is a a quiet poet. I don't know that he would describe himself as one, but I always remember him with a little notebook and pen when we were out on the land together, and it was a habit for him and became a habit for me as I was emulating his love of reading and his way of interacting with the places that we visited together. Interesting. My dad did the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. You've been a fierce advocate and a food champion in your community of community gardens, greenhouses, community kitchens. Can you tell us about that part of your life? Yeah, absolutely. I live in the small, intimate community. Like You see the people that are around you every day, and it is impossible to live in a way that is not sympathetic to the needs of the whole community and embedded in the needs of the whole community. And so being there and receiving the gifts of living in my territory and surrounded by my people, it just feels so important to me to reciprocate by trying to do good in the place where I live. So I do a lot of community-driven nonprofit work in the community, a lot of it focused on food security, and it's a real privilege to do that work. Food security is a big issue these days. It was always clear that our food supply was a little precarious in Bella Bella, but particularly in the early days of the pandemic when there were such global shortages, it became so abundantly clear that we were really just a couple of missed freight deliveries away from mayhem in terms of food. We were dependent on all of our groceries being freighted in. So it's felt really important to me, especially in the last few years, to find ways to become more localized in our food economy and more locally self-sufficient in terms of both foraging and harvesting wild foods and producing more foods locally. You are a self-described herbalist. Was that something that was learned from family and community? I grew up surrounded by lots of grandparents, which was a really beautiful way to be raised. And I love to serve my community by providing plant-based medicines. And I, I learned about that from my grandparents as a child out on the land. How are Indigenous recipes being handed down and taught to the next generations? 
It's very hands-on. Actually, one of the pieces of work that I really love in my community is helping to reintroduce ancestral foods that haven't been really commonly consumed in the last couple of generations. And so it's been a lot of fun to take something like seal, for example. There are not many families in the community who habitually eat seal, but there are still some elders who remember how it was processed and prepared. And as that is an abundant potential food source, it's been really wonderful to bring that into the community more and tap knowledge holders who do still consume it to teach everyone else how you process it, how you prepare it, what the recipes are. And it's just such a communal hands-on experience doing that work. There's a series in the poem book about the mountains and floods, which are part of your community's storytelling. Could you tell us about that? Where I live in Bella Bella, my house is right on the water. And if you look to the north, you can see Kuagami. If you look to the south, you can see Munskumkli. And those two mountains are central figures in our flood story from our oral history. Those were the mountains that the Helsic people climbed to attain enough height to survive the flood. And so for me, I grew up hearing the flood story as one of many stories from our oral history that was regularly spoken aloud and passed down. And I developed a real curiosity about them. And so over the last few years, I've been climbing them successively and getting to know those mountains and developing my own relationship with them, my own stories with them. It felt a really important offering to include in this book a series of poems honoring those relationships that have been emerging. You mentioned oral history. Is there a concerted effort to capture some of these stories in written and digital form? Yeah, there is really wonderful work happening in my community around knowledge preservation and particularly language resurgence that's just so inspiring to see. There are language immersion programs in the community and big cohorts of people across generations who are really focusing in a concerted way on learning the language and becoming fluent and embedding language and, by extension, cultural knowledge being transmitted in every institution in the community. And it's just it's so beautiful to see that. In your book of poems, Crushed Wild Mint, I noticed you worked in some of the Heltzik language into the poems, published a glossary so that readers can cross-reference. I'm not a fluent speaker. I would love to be a fluent speaker, and I hope someday that I can put in the work to get there. For me, I'm one of those people that I can name a lot of things. I know a lot of nouns. My grammar is terrible, but it felt really important to me to play whatever small part I could play in that bigger movement of language resurgence and to assert in print here that our language is still present, it's still thriving, and it's here in the world. Jess, you're also the founder and director of the Thistala Memorial Library, and at Sounds very much like a project near and dear to your heart. How many people would the library serve? I mean, it's a community library, so we're of service to the 1,500 or so people who live in Bella Bella and also folks on the neighboring community of Denny Island across the water. But we're a very flexible library. Lots of folks stop in when they're sailing north or south and check out a book and mail it back from Alaska or Vancouver or (laughs) stop in when they're visiting from neighboring communities and bring it back six months or a year or three years later. It's an interesting task keeping on top of the rotation. How many books would be in the library? At this point, we have about 4,000 books crammed in a very small space. That's a good-sized library. Mm-hmm. And now you've got your own book in the library. I do. Where do you do your best writing, and what's the process? I tend to write on my boat. Though I live on an island on the outer coast. It's a small town. I actually never learned to drive a car But I'm in a boat almost every day. And being a parent of two kids and just generally a busy person, I actually find that most of the time when I have quiet moments to let poems come to me or to sit and write, it's while I'm in transit somewhere on my boat. So it's not uncommon for me to 
pull over in a little bay or just idle in the middle of a channel for a minute and scribble down a few lines. Why poetry for your first book? Honestly, in some ways, attention span. I feel like I don't have the wherewithal right now to hold together a bigger narrative of a whole book about one subject. It feels like poetry is something that I can allow to just come to me in the moments when it's right. How long did it take you to collect the various poems to create the book? I wrote the book in about a year, which was around the time from when I signed the contract to when I had to deliver the manuscript. And I opted not to draw too heavily on older things that I had written, but I really enjoyed how having this manuscript deadline made me feel like I had permission to prioritize writing in ways that I don't normally do at other times in my life. So it was a very productive year for me uh, in terms of really making space for poetry. Jess, you've been meeting people and readers at book signings and doing some readings. How has the Book of Poems been received and what kind of comments do you get? People have been so gracious. It's been just wonderful. It's such a vulnerable thing to put something like this out into the world. And I've been very firmly in the what have I done stage for the last couple of months as I was leading up to having a little book tour, just really feeling very exposed with my intimate personal thoughts and writing being available to literally anybody. I really feel like I've been extended a lot of grace and held very lovingly by the people who have come out to my readings and book signings. Folks have been so generous in sharing what the points of connection are for them and where they see themselves in my writing. And it's been so wonderful to build community with people around that. How do you like taking a very personal thing like writing poetry and mixing it with public speaking? <laughs> it's so terrifying. <laughs> you know, I've spent a lot of time in my life out in front on behalf of campaigns and causes and projects and things that I'm working on. And I've grown accustomed to doing that on behalf of things that matter to me, but it feels very strange to do this work on my own behalf. I think I'm still figuring out how to do it well, but it's been an interesting process. The poems in the book, Crushed Wild Mint, have been described as your love of the land and ancestral wisdom. Is that a fair comment? I think it is. A lot of what I've written has certainly emerged from my deep love for my territory and my sense of connection to the place that I come from. And also, in some ways, I feel like I've been a conduit for ancestral wisdom that I have received and feel really privileged to find ways to pass on, including through poetry. Perhaps you could share the poem with us from which the book is titled. How do you appease a spirit? Braid your hair, then ask that spirit how it needs to be loved. If you are someone who feeds the living, ask yourself how to nourish a ghost. Set three places at the table for the two of you and for grief. Crush wild mint and put it in your pockets, in your hair, in a bowl on the table. Let the scent cleanse grief like smoke, like cedar, like tenderness. You have two sons, one of whom inspired a poem about the wind. Tell us that story. I have two lovely, chaotic little boys with big imaginations, and very often they ask me questions that really reframe how I look at things around me. My younger child asked me where the wind came from. As I was pausing to think of a way to explain it scientifically to a, at that time, four-year-old, he answered the question himself. And he said, I think that wind comes from wolves. I think it's in their bellies. And I think it comes out when they howl. To me, that was just such a beautiful image that wound its way into one of my poems. Perhaps you could share that one with us. Sure. So this poem is called Breath. 
Take a fistful of wild rose petals. Be unhurried as you pile them on your outstretched tongue and feel their surprising weight. Grind their full perfume in your molars and turn your breath into medicine. It's your right to be in pain, my love. One of my children believes that all wind originates in the bellies of wolves, that storms come from their howling. What if we howled roses? Maybe we could trust that the rains to come would be soft. It's also your right to heal. Jess, what do you read when you're not writing? I read a lot of poetry, which has been really beautiful for me. And in particular, I feel like there are just so many incredible Indigenous poets who are publishing today. I just read recently with Samantha Marie Nock in Vancouver, and she has a book of poetry out that just breaks my heart wide open. So I've really been enjoying spending time with other Indigenous poets that way. And what are you currently working on? I'm working right now on a collection of essays. Similar to this collection of poetry, it is about my relationships with the place that I come from and my culture. I'm really looking forward to exploring a new medium. Thanks to Jess Husty, author of Crushed Wild Mint, and Haley Healy, author of Her Courage Rises, our guests on this edition of the Today in BC, Made in BC Book Club. If you have suggestions or comments, send a voice message to podcast at blackpress.ca. You may be part of our podcast mailbag segment. You'll find Today in BC podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, YouTube, and Google Podcasts. Discover what's happening around our province with todayinbc.com. Sign up today to get the latest news right to your inbox and never miss the news that's important to you and your family. From community news in your neighborhood to what's happening in our province, your source for daily news is todayinbc.com.